Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by Cleveland.com Cavaliers beat reporter Chris Fedor. And let me tell you what. We are talking about the only undefeated team in Cleveland right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Chris, is that something you thought we would be saying at this point, three games in? (laughs) It's hilarious that you bring that up because my dad texted me after they won their third game against Philadelphia. And he said, did you expect this early on in the season? And I responded to him and I said, did I expect 3-0? and No. But I feel like I've talked and written and, and we've been discussing this for nine months. I feel like I got across that I thought they were going to be better than a lot of people did. Did that come across? Not in your prediction. My prediction was 23 wins. That was better than, um, that was better than Vegas. Yeah, no, I know it's better than Vegas, but still, I mean, you know, not like... I also ranked them 12th in the Eastern Conference. That was better than anybody had them. Most people had them 14th, 15th. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. I guess I'll... Listen, I think that you thought that they're going to be... I, th- I think that it's about all about, like, perspective. Like, you thought they were going to be better than, like, Vegas. There's still people who think that they're going to be, like, you know, Cavs fans, obviously, because they're maybe a little biased think they could be like, you know, 500 or somewhere around there. And Well, no, I, I don't think that. Like I said, I think they're going to be better than people think. And I believe the teams that they've played so far, with the exception of Philadelphia, Philadelphia is better than them. Um, in the long term, I think Philly's going to be better than them. But, but I think the teams that they've played in the first three games, with the exception of Philly, are the teams on their level, right? We did talk about that. We talked about comparing them to Detroit and Charlotte maybe Atlanta, you know, Chicago, those kinds of teams are the ones that they should be measured against because those kinds of teams are the ones that they're going to be battling for that play-in tournament. So am I surprised that they beat Charlotte? No, I predicted them to be better than Charlotte. Am I surprised that they beat Detroit? No, I predicted them to be better than Detroit. I guess the most surprising thing at this point is that they are 3-0 and and they got that win despite a bunch of circumstances working against them. Second game of a back-to-back, third different starting lineup, Kevin Love going out early in the second quarter. Like, all of those things working against them, and they blew out the 76ers. That, to me, was a surprise for sure. I mean, the 76ers were without Joel Embiid, but still still definitely a a significant win. Right. Uh, They still had Ben Simmons. They still had Tobias Harris. I wrote this after the game, Hayden. 
I don't think we're in any position right now when it comes to the Cavs coming off back-to-back 19-win seasons and treating a defense like an afterthought to start qualifying good things that they're doing. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, You're of not course. going to hear me say, well, yeah, but... Because even when they played against those teams that were missing big-time players last year, they still got their butts kicked, and they still gave up a million points on the defensive end. That's very true. And the game against the 76ers only allowed 94 points. So, Chris, let's break this down between these three games. There's kind of kind of a common theme here. Cavaliers are scoring. I mean, they're yes. scoring really well. Uh, Hornets, they scored 121. Pistons, I mean, it was double overtime, but they scored 128. And then against 76ers, 118. And defensively, I mean, you know, it, it, the, the game against Philadelphia was definitely good. Uh, the Hornets obviously scored 114, and then, you know, you allowed 119 in double overtime to the Pistons. So let's start offensively first. Um, what has been your takeaway from these first three games in regards to the Cavaliers' offense? Ball movement, man. Yeah. That's where it all starts. They're number one in the NBA in assists per game. Think about that. The Cavs that were ranked 24th in assists as a team last year are ranked number one in the NBA in assists, averaging 31. That's where it all starts. Yep. It's the kind of basketball that the good teams play. It's the share the wealth offense. It's everybody touch it. It's not my turn, your turn, that kind of stuff. It's not ISO heavy. It's Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osman, Larry Nance Jr. Everybody's getting involved in the action. It's a team-first approach. It's a share-the-wealth approach. And it's the kind of offense that good teams run. That's the biggest takeaway. I think you look at it, too. I mean, it's just that I, I think that you're already seeing Colin Sexton get Darius Garland start to take another step, which is huge. Huge. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we've talked about this. Even if this doesn't continue in terms of the win-loss record, there is a way, there's absolutely a way for me to consider this year a success. Um, And it's the internal growth of the young guys. That Mm -hmm. means Darius Garland. That means Colin Sexton. We're seeing growth from Colin Sexton. Yeah, he's scoring the same way, Hayden, 27 a night, 59% from the field. But you see, um, you see a focus on trying to make the right play and scoring within the offense as opposed to forcing it. That's growth for somebody like Colin. With Darius, you're seeing him be able to beat guys off the dribble, finish in traffic, knock down that floater, hit from the outside. Um, and his passing has been unbelievable in the first three games. The Cavs were led by Darius Garland in assists last year, Hayden, 3.9. So far in the first three games, he's averaging 8.1. So you see the growth in somebody like Darius. And the other way, uh, the other way that he has grown significantly is in his effort on the defensive end and just in his confidence. He looks like a completely different player out there. He's carrying himself like a completely different player out there. He's carrying himself like a guy who belongs. That's obviously so important. Confidence is such a huge part of the NBA and such a huge part of, you know, who these guys are. I don't think Colin Sexton has ever lacked for confidence. I think he's a confident <laughs> guy. But, um, I mean, just he's shooting 59% from the field over the first three games. Um, 
only people that are even around him are Dante Exum, who's you know not had nearly the amount of volume that uh, that Colin Sexton's had, and then you have Thon Maker, Marcus Bolden, and JaVale McGee. So you know, good things from Colin Sexton to start out this season in that regard. And yes, Darius Garland shooting 54% from the field, 50% from three-point range. So definitely taking steps in the right direction. But I think you're right. I think the biggest, perhaps the biggest, biggest, biggest step in the right direction for Darius is that 8.3 assist. That's, if he can keep, you know, moving the ball around, that's going to significantly, significantly help him uh, in his development. Yeah, um, apologies to Darius. I shorted him there on point two assists. I said it was yeah. 8.1. It was even better than I thought. Yeah, 8.3. Come on, man. That point two assists, he's going to need that. He's going to need that. I don't want to short him. He's no, earned it, man. Short. Absolutely not. Um, and I, mean, I, I just want to like drive home the point about like the share the wealth sort of situation that they have going on here, okay? Because the NBA tracks usage rating and and whatever it can be a wonky stat, right? But like you have Andre Drummond who is the leader in usage rate, and and that's by design. The Cavs came into the season saying we're going to run our offense through our bigs and create motion and activity away from those guys for Darius, for Colin, for these other guys. Because the Cavs wanted to capitalize, Hayden, on the good passing bigs that they have. Andre Drummond makes mistakes. Sometimes you force feed him a little bit too much. But he is a good passing big man. The same thing can be said for Larry Nance Jr. The same thing can be said for Kevin Love. Uh, JaVale McGee, I think, is underrated in that realm because... He's been labeled a knucklehead, right? Because he appears on Shacked and a Fool with some of these follies that he has on the offensive end. But I think he can make some things happen with the ball in his hands in terms of playmaking and distribution. So if you look at the usage, it's Andre Drummond, number one, Colin Sexton, two, JaVale McGee, Jetty Osman, Kevin Love, Darius Garland. But it's not like Andre Drummond, 30, Colin Sexton, 23, and then a huge gap. Right. It's only been three games, but it's Dre 31.8, Colin Sexton 24, JaVale McGee 23.5, Jetty Osman 20.8, Kevin Love 20.2, Darius Garland 19.5. Last year, over the course of the season, it was like two guys dominating the possessions and then everybody else. Uh, it hasn't been that way in the first three games. And I think it makes it more difficult for the Cavs. Um, to be guarded by their opponent because of that. Is that a J.B. Bickerstaff thing? Yes. I mean, is that what, that's what he brought in? I mean, as opposed to what, what John Beeline was trying to do last year? Well, John Beeline, you know, he didn't know exactly what he was doing last year because you don't know what you don't know. He was trying college concepts, uh, some of the stuff that works for him in college, uh, quickly realized that didn't work, and then started implementing some more NBA concepts really, really early in the season. Um, but by that time, it was obviously too late. He had lost the locker room. Um, but I do think it's a J.B. Bickerstaff thing. He he came into this offseason, Hayden, and he said, we have two goals as a team, two things that we are stressing. We want to be the hardest playing team on a nightly basis. So we've got to compete. We don't have as much talent as everybody else that we're going to play. So we've got to compete. We've got to play hard. And we've got to play as a team and we've got to share the basketball. Those were the things that he demanded from this group. And look, to their credit, they all bought in. See, it's one thing to say it. A lot of teams say we want to share the ball and we want to play hard. But in the first three games, the Cavs have done it. And I think that's really, really important. 
Of course. I mean, that's the, you know, ball movement is such the key to basketball in so many different ways. Especially uh, on this kind of team that there's yes. no reason to force feed Kevin Love over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and there's no reason to do it with Colin Sexton and Andre Drummond. Like, there is no Kevin Durant on this team, right? There's no right. LeBron James on this team. There's no Giannis on this team. So you have to play that kind of style um, to overcome some of the deficiencies that you have in terms of this roster. Defensively, Chris, I mean, you know, the Cavs, we've talked a lot about this, how the Cavaliers are the worst defensive team in the NBA last season. You know, some of its effort, some of its scheme. Now, what what this year, I mean, we're only three games in, but I mean, how much of a difference has Andre Drummond made? What is the big difference with the defense? Is there a, is there a big difference with the defense thus far? Absolutely there is. I honestly think we should start with the tiny backcourt. Um, yeah. Because Darius Garland and Colin Sexton were attacked over and over and over again last year. And rightfully so. You know, they could not guard the way that they needed to guard. And the breakdowns at the point of attack, um, giving up as much as they were giving up to opposing backcourts, and then Jetty Osman not being able to hang with starting small forwards, like, to me, that's where it all started. Yeah, they didn't have enough rim protection, and they needed to go out and fix that. Um, but to me, it was at the point of attack. It was on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. In the minutes of, of Darius and Colin together so far this year, the Cavs have a defensive rating of 104. That's fine. That's respectable. Yeah. You can get away with that. And if they're going to continue to play that hard and fight that much to overcome some of their limitations, I think that's all the Cavs can really ask for. Do I think Darius Garland is going to be an elite defender in the NBA? No, I don't. But if he gives this level of effort and doesn't cause the rest of the defense to break down behind him, and you say the same thing about Colin Sexton, then I think that's something that the Cavs can manage enough and live with where they're not the worst defense in NBA history. And they're not the best defense in NBA history, but they're somewhere floating in the middle, which is good enough in the NBA, especially if you're going to play offense the way that the Cavs have started to play offense. Yeah, I mean, certainly they've been efficient offensively. They've been great, good defensively. Um, they'll be tested. They're going to be tested here. Uh, tonight, they got the New York Knicks. Uh, at Rock I don't think that's much of a test, but okay. Well, right. But no, that's not what I was saying. No. I, oh, I mean, all right. I started there just saying the New York Knicks. <laughs> but then, this is where I started to say about the testing. Yeah. At Indiana, at Atlanta, at Orlando, at Orlando, at yeah. Memphis, at Milwaukee. Right. That is a six-game roadie yeah. from the 31st of December until January 9th. Right. So that's, that's about 10 games, and you're going to be on the road, so you yeah. know, it's a tough roadie for you, but it is a tough road game, or it's a tough road trip nonetheless. And now then they, they come home and play. Say it again? And then they come home and play immediately after that. And yes, we know how difficult the first game, the yes, we know how difficult the first game after a long road trip is. So that's, They actually have a back-to-back, -back, Memphis and Utah. Right. I think it's I think it's seven games or eight games in thirteen days or something like I don't know. It's yeah. it's eight and fourteen. It's it's a lot. You're right. They're definitely going to be tested. Yeah, and I mean when we talk about the defense, a lot of that's effort. It'll be interesting to see if these guys have, you know, have their legs under them and are still, you know, a little fatigued because of all this coronavirus stuff. Um I, I think it'll be fascinating to see how they do over the next, you know, it, during that road trip, especially because 
I mean, that's not an easy one, and it looks daunting. And again, effort defensively may wane at some point uh, in that road trip. It can't. I mean, obviously it no, may, yes, it and can. that's the reality it that it may. But but it can't because that's how that's how this defense has to be built. We've talked about this, Aiden. They don't have great individual defenders. Mm-hmm. They don't. I think JaVale McGee is an elite rim protector, um, but I don't know that he's a great defender. I think there's a difference between the two. I think Larry Nance Jr. is the best individual defender that they have, even though he doesn't put up the same gaudy numbers in some categories as JaVale and Andre Drummond. But aside from that, and I love Isaac Okoro, especially the toughness and tenacity that he has shown early on in his rookie season. But aside from that, they don't have a lot of plus defenders. So they have to do it with effort. They have to do it with scheme. They have to do it with smarts. They have to do it with communication and being on a string and all those different things that you've seen in the first three games. And you're right, when you go on a road, even even in an environment where it's not the usual road environment, those things absolutely get tested more. So um, I think we saw a little bit of that against Detroit, right? Um, So I think this road trip is going to be really, really important for the Cavs one, and I think it's going to be a great barometer for these Cavs too. Absolutely. I think the barometer definitely will be set during that stretch. And, you know, you talk about the no fans. Yeah, but I think that even maybe worse, you know, now the protocols, it's going to make you even more, make things even more difficult on the road in terms of travel. Um, You know, obviously they're traveling a lot to begin with. So I think, again, I think it's as hard as ever um, to go on a big, long road trip like that one. And and the other thing, Hayden, is they're going on the road trip shorthanded. Um, Yes. There's still no word. There's still no word on Kevin Porter Jr. and his status. The Cavs have been very vague about that. As we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, there are certain things that the Cavs want to see from Kevin Porter Jr. There are certain things that KPJ has to show them and prove to them before they feel like he can be a member of this team again and start playing in games. So there's no clarity on that. Dylan Windler has a fractured hand. That makes them a little bit more shorthanded on the perimeter. Uh, Kevin Love is going to be out at least three to four weeks as he re-aggravated his calf strain. Um, I don't believe Isaac Okoro is going to make the trip to Indy for the first road game of this thing. So, you know, their depth is absolutely going to be tested. Um, And it was going to be already on the lengthy road trip. Now you're talking about missing bodies during a lengthy road trip. That's exactly where I was going to go next. So the Cavaliers, the one thing that they haven't been as fortunate with this year in terms of their uh, their three and zero start is injuries. Um, Kevin Love, obviously, they announced today that Kevin Love will be out for three to four weeks with a calf strain. At least he'll be evaluated then. Um, is this something that maybe they could have held him out a couple games and you know because I feel like Cavs are always kind of iffy in, mm-hmm. in terms of maybe even other sports. I mean. Is this something to where they thought or they, they just maybe he tried to go a little too quickly? So I asked J.B. Bickerstaff that question before the Philly game. OK. Um, because you're right. They do err on this. Go ahead. What? No, I didn't say anything. So I asked J.B. Bickerstaff that question before the Philadelphia game because they always err on the side of caution when it comes to any injury. And um, he said Kevin wanted to play, 
and that played into it. And they also thought Kevin um, was good enough to play. Like yeah. him knowing his body, him taking care of his body. Um, he did a good job getting himself ready on the second game of a back-to-back. Sure, I think we can always second guess based on results. But I think the process that they took to get him to play in that game against Philly and how much Kevin wanted to play in that game against Philly, um, I think we have to consider those factors as well and just say it was a bad result. Um, they thought through everything and thought he was good enough to play, and turns out he wasn't. With Kevin out, um, obviously guys are going to get opportunities. You know that's how this thing goes. Um, what do you think the best? What do you think the best kind of lineup or, or matchup or whatever you want to call it uh, when Kevin's out? I mean, where, who do you see? You know, filling in. Who do you see as the best kind of uh, front court there? I'm glad you brought this up. Because in past years, I feel like an injury to Kevin Love was one that the Cavs couldn't overcome. I think they can overcome it now. I think they're better equipped to handle it. One, because they've got a versatile roster with a couple of different guys that can play that spot. And two, having Andre Drummond is going to allow them to still operate offensively in a way that they wanted to previously, and Larry Nance can do a lot of the things that Kevin Love can do as well. So Mm -hmm. to me, yes, it's a big loss. I don't think we can minimize it. Kevin's important to their success. He spaces the court. uh, He rebounds really, really well. He has a great understanding of offense. He does a lot of little things that help them on the offensive end. Um, But Larry Nance Jr. would start on a lot of teams in the NBA, Hayden. Mm Mm-hmm. And him being the backup, from Kevin Love to Larry Nance Jr., there is not a significant drop-off. Honestly, I had been wondering lately if Nance was the most important player that the Cavs had on their roster. Mm -hmm. Combining everything, his defense, his offensive versatility, his ball handling, his passing, his rebounding, all the little things that he brings to the table, his versatility with um, an ability to play three through five, I had been wondering recently if Nance had passed love in that hierarchy of importance. I guess we're going to find out, right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to finding out. But but Larry, every time he's been called on to give more minutes and start, he has been sensational, including the opener against the Charlotte Hornets, where he was um, arguably the best player on the court for either team. Had eight assists in that game, Larry Nance Jr. did. Almost had a triple-double. Yep. Yep, right, I mean, the guy is, he's, he's certainly improved, and now he's starting to shoot the ball from outside as well. I mean, it's I can certainly see where you're coming from when you when you say he's the X man or the kind of the most important player in the Cavaliers because right, you, everything you said, versatility, um, just the input. Now he now with Kevin Love out, I think he definitely is the most important because you know his the way that he plays could definitely change the way the Cavaliers end up in terms of you know missing Kevin. I mean, if he doesn't play well, then I think it'll show pretty significantly. And if he does play well, then I think it'll show significantly. So um, I think that the, 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 they will go, not maybe as Larry Nance goes, but certainly they would love to have him play at the level he's been playing at start this season. I think it's important to point this out, though, too. There is a domino effect to Kevin Love being out that I think is going to be felt really, really quick. 
and it's going to force the Cavs into playing Dean Wade, who, yep. if we're being honest, Dean Wade was the last guy on the roster last year. Yep. And he was somebody who only played in a blowout, whether the Cavs were getting blown out or the Cavs were blowing out other teams. Now, all of a sudden, the Cavs are going to have to rely on him a little bit more, and they're probably going to have to give him you know, big minutes, important minutes. And I think that's where the Cavs could really feel the loss of Kevin. It's not so much Larry Nance Jr. into the starting lineup. I think he's going to be great. It's Dean Wade having to replace Larry Nance Jr. in that second unit and continuing what the first unit did. Now, in fairness, Dean Wade has made some things happen in the first couple of games. Obviously, sure. it's a small sample size, but he's making shots. He's been in the right place. He's moving the ball instead of stopping the ball. But over a long stretch, which is going to be three, four weeks, I think the Cavs are absolutely going to feel that. And it might force them to downsize a little bit, play some Jetty Osman at the four. If Dylan Windler can come back from the injury, maybe he plays some four. Dante Exum might have to play some three. So uh, there is a domino effect to this injury that J.B. Bickerstaff is absolutely going to have to navigate. You brought him up. Thank you for doing that. Who's that? Exactly Who right Dylan Windler. Yeah. Uh, oh, obviously God. a tough, tough, tough. I mean, after a really tough rookie year, obviously missing it, um, he's now injured again. And it's unfortunate. But it looks like it might not be super serious to where he's going to be out for a long time. What are you hearing on the Dylan Windler injury? I almost vomited when I got the word on Dylan. Because I just felt so bad for him. Yeah. I was crushed for him. As you said, this is a guy who worked so hard to get himself ready for his NBA debut. And then in his first ever NBA regular season game, he goes down with an injury that I thought was horrible. I thought it was a broken wrist. I really did. Um, look, if we go by the history of this injury, it's... 13 to 15 games based on how it looked. I think that's a win for the Cavs right now. He's supposed to be reevaluated in a couple of days. And then the Cavs are going to have to see how everything is healing. Um, that's going to be really, really important because if it's a non-displaced injury, it's one timeline. If it's a displaced injury, it's surgery in another timeline. It seems like all indications are it's non-displaced, and that's good news for the Cavs. But again, reevaluation is going to be really, really important in this case. Um, the other thing that I think plays into it, Hayden, it's his left hand as opposed to his right hand. Yep. So that might extend it a little bit longer, especially for a shooter. Now, he is ambidextrous. He can pass with his right and left. He can finish with his right and left. But that's his shooting hand, and shooting's his thing. So that might extend the timeline for a return a little bit longer, but I think the Cavs absolutely dodged one here, even though it's there's no other way to say it. It sucks for Dylan. Yeah, I mean they dodged one, but they also, I mean, it's just it's horrible. It's horrible that you know the first night back and he's just already back in in this injury mode. It's just got to be the most disheartening thing because it seemed like a freak injury. You know, it's it not something that kind of came up over time. I mean, it's, it's so, so, so unfortunate. So unfortunate. It's, it's why sports can be so cruel. 
Mm-hmm. And Dylan is a kid who I have heard is really hard on himself. He feels like, you know, he lets people down when he's injured. He never dealt with injury ever, not in high school, not in college. And now here he is in the NBA and he's dealing with it um, on two different fronts with two separate injuries. It is as much as it's a physical challenge, Hayden, you know this, you played sports. It is a huge mental thing that you have to get. It's a lonely experience uh, not being able to play with your teammates, having to always rehab as opposed to work on your game. I mean, think about it. Dylan came into the NBA, and how much time has he devoted just to getting healthy versus working on his game? The guy hasn't been able to work on his game, and that's got to be so, so frustrating. I mean, yeah, you'd much rather be working on your game than working on recovery. I mean, any, any athlete would say that. You know, that, that's their, they, they love the game. When you're at that level, they love the game so much that they love working on the craft. And obviously, Dylan Windler has been spending more time getting, you know, that his leg healed. Now his, his, his hand's going to be healed. Um, it's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, another horrible injury, and again, maybe not as lengthy in terms of recovery, but everything considered, you wanted to see more of him right away. Uh, Isaac Okoro dealing yeah. with a uh, foot sprain. Well, it's not only that. He was also placed in the health and safety protocol. So that's something to monitor here in this kind of situation. That's all we can say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like he brought something to the starting lineup. And this wasn't a knock against Jetty. And by the way, Jetty's been great in the first three games. Um, I even tweeted about it the other uh, the other night, Hayden. How much time did we spend on this podcast in the offseason? And I didn't bring it up, and you didn't bring it up. We did not factor in something. Jetty Osman, a 24, 25-year-old wing, getting better. We just kind of, yeah. like, assumed that he was going to be the same guy that he had been in his first three years in the NBA. Or worse. Or worse, right. In the first three games, he's been awesome. He's lighting it up from deep. He's not forcing as much as what he did in the first preseason game, in my opinion. You know, he's been okay defensively. He's getting out in transition. He's making plays for himself. He's making plays for others. I really think he fills in nicely in that off-the-bench role. Um, so it was never anything against Jetty, but... I think what the Cavs need from him works better off the bench. And I think what the Cavs need and get from Isaac Okoro works better in the starting group. And we're starting to see that a little bit. The toughness, the tenacity, the little plays that don't necessarily show up in the box score with Isaac. Here's the thing. So if we go back to that Detroit game, the double overtime win. Mm -hmm. And I know this stat can be really, really flawed. And sometimes it's attached to who you play with at the time that you're on the court. But think about something, Hayden. This, I think this um, summarizes Isaac perfectly. In the game against Detroit, Okoro didn't score. He didn't make a shot. Yeah. He had the second best plus minus of anybody on the team. Doing the little things. That's the kind of impact that he can make. That's what everybody said about him leading into the NBA draft. Bruce Pearl, Kobe Altman, J.B. Bickerstaff, everybody that you talked to before the draft said 
this guy impacts winning. And you don't know how to quantify that. And that's what's so hard about guys like that. Um, but he did that on a night where he didn't have it offensively. And those kinds of things are what the Cavs were lacking last year when they won 19 games. And those kinds of things are what the Cavs need, especially in this starting lineup, um, if you're going to continue to run out the Colin Sexton, Darius Garland backcourt, which has been better defensively, but you have questions about just how good those two can be together defensively. Right. And with Isaac, I think, you know, you, you mentioned these kind of like unquantifiable things. I mean, a lot of it, you know, Bruce Pearl, the first thing you say is oh, he's a winner. So, right. I mean, that doesn't always necessarily mean that, hey, he's always going to make the game any shot or always going to, you know, it's just a guy that makes winning plays. You, you right. trust in him. You trust in, you know, when you see him on the court, you're, you have a better sense of self, have a better sense of team. I think that that goes a long way. And it's not something that, again, it's it's very, very, very hard to quantify, but you can just feel it when you feel it. And I think I think you're exactly right in that the Cavaliers can feel it when Isaac Coro is on the floor. And he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective on offense. Right. He does the right things for the most part offensively. He does the right things for the most part defensively. He closes out hard. He challenges shots. He makes passes difficult. He just, his want to at the defensive end of the floor, I think is infectious. And I mean, again, no offense to the guys that were part of the league's worst defense last year. But there just was not enough of that. Right. So, Chris, I'm not as well versed. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm very well versed in the world of COVID protocols in regards to what happens when a guy goes on the COVID list in the NFL. In the NBA, what – so if, if say, say Isaac Okoro – I'm not – well, I won't even go there. Whatever. He's nope. put on the list. What is the protocol for his return? What is the protocol for him getting off that list? There is no list. There is no COVID list. Okay. It's somebody is on the injury report with health uh, and safety protocols as the designation. Okay. What's the timeline? Don't know. It depends. There are a lot of factors that are involved in it. The important thing that I think the NBA wants to point out, and I think it's important for us to point out, um, the way that things are set up in the NBA, it is not like the NFL. I repeat, it is not like the NFL. And um, when it comes to anybody with the designation of health and safety protocols, that does not, I repeat, does not mean that somebody in the NBA has tested positive. Right. Right. I think that's very, very, very important designation. And I think that's the difference with the NBA. So obviously in the NFL, um, they're kind of being very transparent about it. Hey, this guy tested positive. This guy didn't. Um, or this guy was placed on the reserve list, list, was a close contact. He only has to spend five days. So the NBA is just going to be very much more elusive in that. They're, they're going to be not as transparent because of HIPAA or whatever, whatever it may be, right? Um, again, I'll stick with what I said. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So the hope is, so say, say he ends up being fine in regards to the, um, in regards to the health and safety list. Uh, what, um, what is this, what are you, what are you hearing about this foot and how soon, you know, he could be back with that? Didn't seem to be anything serious that people were concerned about. Uh, he obviously had an awkward fall where he stepped on a player's foot in the Detroit game, kind of a fluke injury. 
he was able to play. He played big minutes in the fourth quarter. He played big minutes in the first overtime, the second overtime. Um, he was replaced by Jetty Osman, I think, in the final minute of the second overtime. Um, so it didn't seem serious at the time. And there didn't seem to be a lot of concern coming from the Cavs when I spoke to a bunch of different people about Isaac's injury. It was just something where he was sore um, because it was an awkward fall and he stepped on somebody's foot. And and you know this, those kinds of things take time. So yes. I, I don't think it's anything significant, but we know this about the Cavs as we've talked about a number of different times. Um, with any player, they are going to err on the side of caution especially when it's somebody like Isaac Okoro, right. who is so, so important to their future. Absolutely. All right, Chris, so tonight, Cavaliers taking on the Knicks. Obviously, the Knicks are, you know, one of the lesser teams in the NBA, I guess you could say. Uh, they had a high pick as well in the NBA draft lottery. They are currently 1-2, and two, but they did get a big win, a surprisingly big win over the Milwaukee Bucks, a 130-110 to 110 win. Uh, this game will be played tonight. Uh, Cavaliers at home. Julius Randle doing pretty much everything for the New York Knicks to this point. Um, give us a, a mini preview, if you will, for this one. Uh, obviously, the Cavs will be without Kevin Love. They'll be without Dylan Windler. And they'll be without Isaac Okoro. But, I mean, is this? it seems to be a good matchup for the Cavaliers in a lot of other ways. The Knicks stink. I think they've got the worst roster in the NBA. Yeah. So if the Cavs lose this one, it's pretty disappointing, all things considered. This should be a game that they get, right? These are the kinds of teams that they should be competitive with. These are the kinds of teams that they should beat. So even though the Knicks had a surprising win the other night, um, blowing the doors off the Milwaukee Bucks, I don't think that's indicative of the kind of roster that they have and the kind of team that they have. So... Um, if the Cavs continue to play the right way, the way that they've played in the first three games, this should be a game that they win, and they should be 4-0 after it. What a start that would be. The 4-0 Cavaliers. Incredible. So that would be your 23, your 23 wins. They'd only have to win 19 of their next. Oh, man. Batman. Oh, go. Here we go. Batman. Here we go. All right. So they'd have to win 19 of their next 56 or 68? I think so. Does that sound right? 72, 72 minus 4 is 68. So they don't have to win 19 of 68. That seems doable. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. If they start 4-0 and they have to win 19 to 68, we could be talking about 25, 26 wins, like I said. There you go. So it's, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, anything could happen. But that's, that's a... That's a that's quite the stat. They'd only have to go 19 and 68 to get to your 23 win prediction. Um, and think about a lot of the things that were working against them. We talked about all the time off over the last nine months. There yep. were injuries throughout the course of the preseason yep. that didn't allow them to form the chemistry and continuity that they wanted. They didn't get to use certain lineups that they wanted to use going into the opener. There are a lot of things working against this group. I think it's a testament to one Kobe Altman, two, J.B. Bickerstaff, and three, the players, that they've gotten off to this three-and-no start despite some of the circumstances that were working against them. It's it's something that they deserve a lot of praise for um, because if we think about some of these other teams, Hayden, that didn't get invited into the bubble, 
um, and dealt with some of the same kinds of circumstances, look at where they are. The Chicago Bulls are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. The Pistons stink. Part of that is their roster, obviously. The Charlotte Hornets, they've only won one game. So for them to be off nine months and look like this offensively and defensively, like, I don't think we can say enough about the job that J.B. Bickerstaff has done. No, I don't think we can either. And I, you wrote this, uh, the title of the piece is called Cavaliers Passing Every Test, Proving Doubters Wrong with 3-0 and Start. I think the culture is a huge part of that. I think that that's Absolutely. what you're kind of getting at, is that that they've kind of changed, they kind of have a good culture. And they, you know, JaVale McGee said, you know, <laughs> you mentioned knuckleheads before said the Cavaliers don't have any knuckleheads. They have guys that are willing, that are happy to come into work every day that are, you know, putting in the time, putting in the effort and doing it with a smile on their face. And that can't be, um, you know, that can't be said enough how important that is. So I think a lot of it is either the culture that J.B. Bickerstaff has brought in or maybe even the culture that Kobe Altman has brought in or the culture, culture that they've brought in together and the players that they brought in together. I think it's huge in the way the Cavaliers have started this season. The other thing is the rise of Darius Garland. Yeah. One of the pieces that I did for Cleveland.com was the different swing factors in the Cavs' ability to overachieve. And year two, Darius Garland was one of those. Right. Think about the way that he has played. Think about the way that he played last year as a rookie and the way that he's playing this year. He's the engine of this offense. He has to be. He has to be the floor general. He has to be the guy who sets the tone. He's the point guard. So... They needed him to play this kind of basketball in order to overachieve. And in the first three games, you've seen that. Scoring the ball efficiently, making plays for others. Some of the passes that he's made this year, Hayden, he wouldn't have even tried last year as a rookie because he was so concerned about turnovers. A lot of that's confidence, I feel like. I feel like confidence is huge. Without a doubt. And, and he's talked about it from the very start of training camp. I'm a different Darius Garland. My confidence is at an all-time high. And I think we've seen in the first three games why that is. Do you think, I mean, do you think that continues? I mean, I, it certainly seems like he's taking steps in the right direction, but it is the, just the start. I mean, there's going to be adversity. Is this something that he can hold on to? And is this something where he can really take a huge step um, going into his you know, third year in the league? He was always perplexing as a rookie simply, well, I thought anyway, simply because the things that you liked about him, you felt would translate well to the NBA. Right. See, there was always this conversation about Darius Garland versus Colin Sexton. And if you looked at the things that they did well and that they brought to the table, you would always go towards Darius saying that guy's got more of a chance to succeed because successful guys in the NBA look and play like him more than they look and play like Colin Sexton. You know what I mean? Yep. So I completely understand. I think because of that, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's hard to completely shake what you saw at times from Darius as a rookie. And there were so many different circumstances tied to that, which is why I wrote a piece about giving him a pass for his rookie season. In saying that, you're human. Um, you're going to continue to hang on to some of those things that you saw, and you're going to continue to need to see more in the positive column before 
your memory is completely wiped. So I, I do think he can continue this kind of play because his style works. Um, at the same time, you know, the way that he's played in the first three games is unbelievable. And I think expecting that to be the mark for a guy in year two, I, I think that's asking a lot if we're being honest. Yeah, no, I mean, there definitely is a lot on Darius's plate and just his whole the way that his whole career has started. But as you said, if he continues to, you know, do things this way and and continues to put more on the plate and get rid of the some of the old stuff that we were used to seeing, then, yes, I think it's going to be a very, very different view. Um, all right, Chris. Well, you have a game to cover tonight. I do. And you have a trip to go to or to go yeah. on. You're going to Indiana. You're going to Indianapolis. You're going to Atlanta, Orlando, Memphis and Milwaukee. So we wish you the safest of travels. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. We wish you a happy New Year as well, because yep. we will not talk to you before the New Year. You'll Same be to in you and uh, all the loyal listeners. You yes, you will be in when? Andy. Okay, so you wouldn't travel to um, Atlanta the day after the game. Oh yeah, no, you'll be in Indy for New Year's Eve. Duh. Okay, yep. they play on New Year's Eve, early gotcha. New Year's Eve game. I think they played early on New Year's Eve last year too in Toronto. Maybe it okay. wasn't early. Well, it'll remember. be a three o'clock game in Indianapolis. Yep, that's so true. So there's, cer- there's certainly um, an opportunity to watch that game before uh, before any hopefully Bring it in the socially, new year. Hopefully, so- socially distant and not um, crazy parties, but you never know. Or outside, at least I don't know. I just yep. want everybody to be safe, man. I, I it's it's. I think everything is actually you know it looks like the numbers are going down. That's good, but now after Christmas, who knows? You know, who knows? All right, Chris. Anything else before you embark upon your uh, journey that'll be that'll bring you back to Cleveland January tenth, probably. No, man. I think I'm good. All right. Well, we will find out if the Cavaliers go four and zero tonight. They are taking on the New York Knicks, and then they will be in Indianapolis starting Thursday, and that will be a six-game roadie: Indiana, Atlanta, Orlando, Orlando, Memphis, Milwaukee. So, Chris, safe travels again. Thanks everybody who joined us. And uh, again, we'll see if this Cavaliers uh, start can't ride out for a little bit longer. Um, you be sure to follow Chris on subtext if you haven't already. Three ninety nine a month, you get insider analysis and text straight from Chris, featuring all the things he's hearing from inside the Cavaliers building. You get injury updates, you get player updates, status updates, all kinds of good stuff. Again, three ninety nine a month. You can find uh, all you have to do is find the uh, link on this page, and you can put in your number, and you will get right on that. So again, three ninety nine a month for Chris's subtext. It's a fourteen day free trial to start. And what better way to start, what better time to start than the start of the 2021 uh, portion of this Cavalier season and after this 4-0 run. So, Chris, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate all of you joining us. We will talk to you soon. Happy New Year to all of you loyal listeners. I hope it's a beautiful, safe, happy, healthy, and wonderful one. Take care.